This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to Scuderia F1, the podcast that's always up to speed with the latest Formula One news. Follow us on Twitter at Scuderia F1 Pod and subscribe to the show on iTunes and Stitcher. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Daly and Kevin Laramay. Hey everybody, what is up? Welcome to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One here on the Overtime Media Network. It's just me. It's just me tonight. Kevin has been busy and was under the the weather a little bit, so I decided to be a nice guy. I said, Kevin, go rest up. We'll kind of touch base with you in a couple of days for the Chinese Grand Prix. So let's try and get through this thing uh, together. I'm going to try and do the best that I can, but it usually isn't a problem, is it? All right. Well, plenty of things to talk about this week ahead of the 1,000th Formula One Grand Prix in China at the Shanghai International Circuit this week. And we start first of all with Formula One Managing Director Ross Braun saying that the 1,000 Grand Prix is the brightest symbol of the amazing history from which to move forward. And of course, uh, this has to do a a little bit. So he's talking about two things, of course, recognizing that this is quite a milestone for Formula One and recognizing the past and when the World Championship started way back in 1950 and the races before that. And I was thinking too, why has it taken so long to get to 1,000 races? But then when you think back, the World Championship way back in the day when it first started, there's only like five or six races in, (laughs) in a year. So of course, from there, it has taken a very, very long time to get to 1,000. And certainly over the past, uh, well, the, the most recent history, when you have anywhere uh, in and around 20 races a year, it goes pretty quick because I remember way back uh, growing up when you had some of these guys that have been around for a long, long time. Ricardo Patrese was, I remember. I can't remember how many he, he finished with when he retired from Formula One. But it seems that the guys today seem to reach those milestones a little bit quicker. But if you think uh, there's 21 races in a year, you race four years in Formula One, you're almost 100 races right there. So it's going uh, pretty, pretty quickly. So, you know, there there is a lot going on in Formula One. And what Ross is uh, really talking about is not just the history, but also there is that line in the sand because the current Concord Agreement, which is what everybody, all the parties in, in Formula One agree to, that um, runs out at the end of uh, 2020. So just a, a little bit over a year and a half from now. And there's been a lot of discussions into what the shape and the future of Formula One is going to look like, but there's still a lot up in the air. And I'm kind of interested and a little bit frustrated at the same time that the process is taking or unfolding the way that it is, because there there is a deadline that has been set to put these uh, regulations into place, or at least agree to them and, and get that foundation down so it's, it's all ready to go. But it, it sounded initially when they started talking even as uh, far back as a year ago that there seemed to, to be a lot of engagement a lot of positive discussions on on all sides not just from formula one but all the teams and other stakeholders seem to be in there and talking about it and, and for for once there seemed to be a lot of uh, cooperation among the, the the different parties but you fast forward a year now and it seems that it just 
same old Formula One, right? There's a lot of discussions over what the technical rules are going to like look like. Well, basically everything. And uh, now it's just sort of stumbling along. So Ross has uh, taken the position that this is a good time to really recognize the history of Formula One and appreciate everything and everyone that's that's come before them and, and use that as a real positive uh, stepping stone, just as a reminder of what Formula One and what the World Championship is and what it means and, and use that uh, or just keep it in mind as they negotiate for, for 2021 and, uh, and beyond. So it's probably going to come down to the wire. That's my guess. And I have to be quite honest. I thought for a very long time that even though it seemed so positive that all these discussions were going on, it also seemed a little bit too good to be true that at the same time that there was all this sort of positivity around discussions for the future of Formula One, uh, that uh, <laughs> that there would be some drama at some point. So let's hope it gets sorted out sooner rather than later and uh, it doesn't become an unnecessary uh, drama and you know how these things usually go. Usually somebody threatens to leave and I, I think that they're in a good place right now with 10 teams and the, the amount of, uh, you know, the drivers that they have and, and all, all the manufacturers and, and, and privateers that are involved in Formula One. So uh, very much like Ross, I hope that's something that they can build on and, and improve for 2021. So one thing that's, that's also interesting is that uh, the Liberty Media and uh, the British Grand Prix seem to be coming together. There, there's hopes that a new deal for Silverstone will be uh, struck soon because they did sign a, several years ago a, a very, very long multi-year contract. I can't remember exactly when it ended now. I think maybe it was around 2024 if I remember correctly. But there there were these increasing costs to host the, the, the race each and every year. And this was a deal that was negotiated Negotiated. It was one, I guess, towards the end of Bernie Ecclestone's era at uh, at the helm of Formula One. So it's one of these deals that's where the, the hosting fees would increase steadily over time, and the, they did have an exit clause that they could uh, that they could exercise, and which they've done. Uh, so I believe that uh, beyond this year, there will be no British Grand Prix if they don't get uh, something sorted out. But it's one of these historic Grand Prix, right? It, it the to me, Formula One is not Formula One if you don't go to some of these historical tracks like Silverstone, like, uh, well, the new Hockenheim, that's something else. But you need a German Grand Prix. You need Spa-Francorchamps. You need uh, Monza, the Italian Grand Prix. Races like that, just as much as you need these new ones that the, they're, they're looking at. I think it's wonderful that they've been able to, to go to new venues. And I, I think that that's very much a part of Formula One. I think that's a part of anything that uh, you have to develop, you have to move forward, and, and growth and improvement is, is a healthy thing. But... When you look at something like Formula One, uh, a sport that is so rich in history and all the, the the drama and all the things that have happened over the years and just how these different countries, these different circuits have really built and, and, and really have their, their place in Formula One. To me, Formula One just isn't the the, the same. I mean, I, I really couldn't see a few, uh, Formula One without any of them. I mean, I'm sure that uh, Liberty Media would be able to, to, to find other venues to host races, but if there were more newer tracks or new ones completely completely and none of these traditional tracks. I mean, for me, it would just not really be the same. And they did say sometime last year that they had something up to, I think it was 40 interested venues that uh, that wanted to host a, a Grand Prix. And this is at a time where there, there's a lot up in the air. There was no German Grand Prix last year, and then Malaysia was coming to the end, and they weren't going to renew. All sorts of things really up in the air. And of course, the, this British Grand Prix thing has been on ongoing for a very, very long time. 
so it just uh, really it it seemed a little bit sort of out of place that they they would be saying that that there's so many people interested in hosting races yet they're they're have they're struggling to keep the ones that uh, that they already had. But of course, like I say, uh, very much like the British Grand Prix, a lot of these deals were negotiated um, under the previous uh, ownership or, or management of uh, Bernie Ecclestone, and things were a lot lot different. And uh, certainly, since uh, Liberty Media took over and became the majority shareholder a year or two ago, and then uh, really got involved in the day to day things once uh, w- once they uh, made that official, they've really taken a real different approach to. And I, I really hope that they can uh, get uh, get a new deal struck because I mean the, the British Grand Prix has been, I mean traditionally I mean uh, Silverstone is a wonderful circuit. I mean it's uh, it's really exciting and uh, there, we've seen some great racing there over the years. And the track certainly has changed. I know that um, my dad always used to say that uh, that is. Silverstone now is a lot different uh, from what Silverstone was like way back in the 60s or whenever it was that uh, he used to go there to watch uh, not just Formula One, but uh, but other uh, racing formulas as well. So that's that's a little bit different, but I really do hope that they, they, they can sort it out. And, and certainly in recent years, I mean, it's been wonderfully attended. I mean, just to pack to the rafters uh, over the, the, the course of the weekend and... Uh, Lewis Hamilton has a lot to do with that. I mean, a British driver, five-time world champion, and the best driver of this current uh, generation. I don't think that there's too many uh, arguments uh, against that. So for it, for it to the drop off now would be uh, something tragic to me. So well, let's hope and cross fingers that they get it uh, sorted out, and then it's just the the, the first stone to fall into place uh, for uh, for a lot of these other tracks that are looking to uh, renegotiate uh, deals or, and, and get things uh, sorted out. So we'll, we'll, we'll come back and see what's going on. But just uh, talking uh, about 2021, Ferrari, uh, they said that they still have a long to-do list of topics that uh, need to be what they say ticked off. Hopefully they're not ticked off. I'm talking about ticking off the items on their checklist uh, just over the future Formula One uh, rules. But unlike Ferrari in the past where there were some doubts, they would just threaten to take all their toys and go home and pull out a Formula One and that would be that. Uh, who knows uh, in the past how close they've actually come to doing just that and and, and pull up stakes and just uh, and go. But this time, uh, e- even though they have a lot of questions about what's going to happen uh, for after 2020, that they still remain optimistic that a, that a new deal can be reached. So I find this a positive development. Uh, even though I was saying a couple of minutes ago that uh, I've been quite frustrated and and disappointed and lack of progress so far, to hear one of the major stakeholders. Uh, one of the major teams in in Ferrari saying that uh, that they're positive and optimistic that a new deal can be reached for me is very good news because one of the things that's going to have to change is what how Ferrari's dealt with and honestly I, I don't have a problem with the the, the fact that they get this uh, historic uh, com- constructor whatever it is this historic status that they've been around since 1950 and I mean they are an incredibly historic and and, and successful mark that have been in in Formula One for so so, so very, very long. And I'm completely fine with that. But I think that not just the the technical regulations that uh, that obviously have to be sorted out, but also the distribution of wealth and the, the whole uh, question of these budget caps and things like that, and whether or not they can find a model that works and implement that. And that's going to be a, a difficult thing to, to really put into place. But we'll see. I mean, they might be able to sort something out. But the, the, the one thing that I've often thought was... Um, 
could be better done, let's put it that way, is the distribution of money among the the, the, the different manufacturers. You you look at some of the teams that are way at the top. And of course, if you, you're successful in Formula One, you deserve everything that, uh, that you get coming to you. I'm just saying that perhaps the percentages of the prize money could be sorted out uh, or, or distributed a, a little bit more evenly. I mean, of course, the, 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 the majority should go to the successful teams and, and that's the way that it should be. But on the flip side, the teams that are at the bottom end of the the order shouldn't really have to be struggling to to, to really survive is basically what it comes down to. Because I, I don't think it's a good look for Formula One. And I, I know that Formula One is the pinnacle of motor racing. And I know that uh, under Bernie Ecclestone, he always said, well, it's basically if you're in Formula One, you've got to be the means to, to, to be here. And if you can't afford it or you can't compete for whatever we, reason, then fine. Don't be here. Go. Go do something else. You don't have to stay here. And that's fine. I mean, uh, you want it to be the best of the very best. But uh, I, I think that there 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 is a i think a balance to be struck between the two of that of course you don't want to make it too easy that anybody can come in because that will just dilute the product and i, I think that it would make the, uh, the 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 racing and just the the whole competition a lot less than what it is so i mean you want to set that bar high of course but i don't think you want to set it so high that it's a an impossible standard be it technologically budget wise wh- whatever it might be that uh, that only a couple of select teams can uh, do it comfortably and then everybody else struggles, which is basically the case right now, right? I mean, you have Ferrari and Mercedes uh, up at the top and both have almost unlimited budgets to do whatever they can. And and, and Red Bull, of course, uh, to a certain degree. And then you have at the other end of the scale, you have the teams that, that uh, really just struggle to get by. And I mean, we've seen a, a number of them disappear over the year. We've seen Manor Racing disappear, uh, Caterham Lotus or Lotus Caterham, whatever they were. I know they went through a kind of a couple different ones but then also we've seen some teams rebrand lotus uh was on the way out and then was uh bought up again by renault and uh what was a private team has become a constructor again and even though renault was struggling a little bit to, to really get where they want to be and be a, a competitive team and uh, and really be out there challenging for race wins and, and victories there's still obviously a, a way to go but that's that's a different uh, question so that is what my I think for me the biggest issue for 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 twenty twenty one and of course if I've got these questions I'm sure that um, the, the the people that are involved in the the day to day running of Formula One and, and and running teams and and competing in in Grands Prix and and World Championships they they must have a, a lot of different things but uh, just to finish this one uh, this thought off just before we go into the break here um, Ferrari team principal uh, Mattia Bonato said and I quote there is not much time but for us it is more important to make sure we We've got the right agreements and we should not be caught by time. So, yeah, again, I mean, uh, that that's fair enough. They need to get all these things sorted, but they, they can't really, I think, wait too, too long. I mean, I think that the, the, if they rush, that's not a good thing. But uh, I think the, the the longer that they drag it out, I don't think that's uh, necessarily beneficial either. I mean, there has to be an expedient and efficient manner to move forward uh, with the you know these agreements to to make sure that it really gets sorted out. Anyways, we're going to just take a quick break here for network identification and a word from our sponsors, and we'll be back in just a few moments. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. 
superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right. Welcome back to Scuderia F1. And um, I just wanted to finish up a, a couple more thoughts on the, uh, the the 2021 and beyond regulations. And uh, just to build a, a little bit on what uh, Ferrari boss Mattia Bonato was just saying, just uh, that there's still uh, plenty of time to get this uh, deal sorted out. Uh, the team principal at uh, Racing Point, uh, Otmar Safnauer, is, uh, he's also confident that uh, the FIA and uh, Formula One can agree to plans for 2021 uh, with all the teams before the, the the uh, imposed or maybe not imposed that's uh, a little bit uh, too I think of a aggressive sounding word but the the planned deadline that they've set uh, in June so um, but the way that uh, the FIA's international sporting code specifies uh, June as a cutoff for decisions for for 21 or 2021 changes so um, they did have a briefing in London just a brief uh, just before the the, the Bahrain Grand Prix and uh, Safnauer said that uh, even though nothing's been signed that uh, progress has been made in a lot of areas and it's uh, it's inevitable that uh, all teams will have to uh, Accept a compromise to uh, one uh, one degree or another, and uh, one thing that uh, Safnauer did say to Motorsport.com is, and I quote: "It's a big thing, but we've got until the middle of June to get it done, so there's time." The good news is that in F1, we're used to working quickly and fast. All right, well, let's uh, just uh, just leave it here. But four-time world champion Alan Prost has also uh, weighed into the the debate about uh, the direction of uh, Formula One, and uh, Alan says that uh, Formula One needs less less technology and more ingenuity. And I like this. Uh, I think that's a a really good uh, way to sum it up. I think uh, take away a lot of the fluff and a lot of the uh, the technical jargon and a lot of the de- a lot of the finer points. Just boil it down to that and. That's why I think uh, the to me I think the budget cap is a good thing. Uh, you know, don't, again, can't let's set that bar too low that that anybody with money can go into Formula One just because they can afford it. But uh, I think that uh, the the teams that want to spend more can spend more, but not so much that they're like in a completely different galaxy than uh, than a lot of the other teams, which is what we have with a certain extent now with your Red Bulls, Mercedes, and Ferraris of the world compared to your your smaller teams like your your racing points and your your Williams and and teams like that but having said that Racing Point or formerly Force India is a team that has uh, really punched above their weight uh, to be quite honest I mean they've never really been up there to to really challenge seriously for for race victories and things like that but they've had a an odd performance here and there that that uh, that, that really bears mention I mean Checo Perez had a, a, a P3 in Azerbaijan was it last year not last year two years ago and they, they've always been competitive uh, for where they've been in I mean, they're a middle-of-the-pack team. That's what they are. I mean, that's just uh, the way of life. But the fact is that that's a team that's always been able to do more with a lot less than uh, a lot of the teams that they've even been competing with head-to-head. Not necessarily that... uh, 
with the, the the big teams in front of them, and I like that. I think that's, that that there is a place for that in Formula One, and, and to me. Formula One, I know this is cliche, is the pinnacle of motorsport. And I think that it's not just the technology in the, or the, the, the cars themselves and the best drivers and everything. I, th- I think it's the pinnacle of everything. And I think a lot of it goes into the design, the technology, the cars and, and how they're built. And I think also that that definition can be stretched to be more than that. I mean, it can also be the pinnacle of being good engineers being good designers and very much like force India of the past doing less with, or sorry, doing more with less, not the other way around because that's not very good frittering away uh, money and, and, and not getting results. But I, I, I like that idea. And I still think sometimes there is a little bit uh, too much t- technology in the cars. I, I don't want to see all of it uh, removed. I'm not some sort of technological fearing Luddite or something uh, of that degree, but I would like to see a lot of the technology in the cars, but I want to see it to the point, not to the point where I think that we've been for maybe too long that there's the technology, I think gets to a point where the driver becomes more of an operator. And what I mean by that is that I think a lot of the things of being a racing driver sort of get taken out of their hands. And I mean, this is a reason why they've banned things like traction control and um, active suspension and and all these sorts of things over the years and different technologies that, that really give uh, cars uh, an unfair performance advantage. I'd like to see the technology reduced to a point that it's still difficult for the drivers or or the driver makes enough difference that he has to be spot on, lap in, lap, uh, lap out over the course of an entire Grand Prix, and that uh, the, that mistakes can be made, and uh, that you know the car isn't always going to be there to to save him because that's what the what the technology is there to do. And and uh, we'll we'll get in, into this a little bit later on. I mean, we've we've talked about Sebastian Vettel plenty of times uh, over the uh, over the past year or so, and some of the issues that he's had, but. Just going back to the Bahrain Grand Prix a week and a half ago, and he was behind Lewis Hamilton, and he was trying to pass and retake the position. He lost to Lewis, and then just lost the uh, the rear end of the car coming out of I think it was was it uh, turn one, and. Uh, you know, honestly, I don't have a problem with uh, those sorts of things. I mean, if you make the cars a little bit uh, more difficult to handle, maybe you make them a little bit more uh, unpredictable. And uh, because it really looked like Sebastian was expecting the car to do something else and uh, it didn't behave the way that he wanted and just uh, lost the rear end and spun out. And, you know, I mean, he he's had his fair, fair share of problems over the years and I'm not trying to pile on or anything like that, but I, I really like the idea that if uh, a driver is pushing his car to the limit and uh, he's not successful in doing so, then what's wrong with uh, you know the, the car spinning out? Just what ha- just like what happened to Sebastian. I mean, I don't think that's a bad thing. I, I think that I want to see the point or the the cars develop to a point or reduce to a point technology wise that the the, the driver makes an absolute uh, difference that the guy that can get the most out of his equipment uh, is the one that uh, has the chance to to win a race and become a world champion but uh, at the same time if uh, he pushes too hard that the the car and the the equipment or the software whatever it might be some system on the car be it hard or software is is not going to 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 save the day for them I think that just takes a little bit of the fun out of formula one and, and maybe just just sort of takes away from what, uh, what the series is really about. So I think Alan hitting on a couple of, uh, really good, uh, good points there. 
And just to sort of talking a little bit more about uh, the, the uh, Formula One and, and moving forward, uh, Gunter Steiner, the uh, team principal at uh, Haas F1, and uh, he says that he believes that Liberty Media is what he says is looking after Formula One by protecting the Haas model. And uh, for those of you that aren't really too familiar with that, uh, Haas is an independent uh, constructor. Uh, they um, they have Ferrari engines and uh, they do outsource and, and, and buy a lot of parts uh, off of uh, Ferrari, the, these non-listed points. And it's it's a model that's uh, that that's worked for them. A lot of the teams uh, that are direct competitors with Haas uh, don't really like it. They think it gives them a, a bit of an unfair advantage. But I mean, if they're able to do it, then it's, there's nothing really stopping anyone else. But that is one of the discussions for for 2021 is how they're going to deal with what they they call these uh, listed parts and the parts that the teams are expected to design and build on their own. But you know, for a lot of common things and and, and components that um, are kind of generic, I really don't have a, a problem with that being a, an option that, uh, you know, if you can save some money in, in, in design and manufacturing costs, wh- why not be able to, to, to buy them from someone else? I mean, Ferrari obviously have the capability to do so and uh, Haas obviously have the have the, uh, the 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 mentality that's that that's a route uh, that they want to go for these uh, non listed parts and buy them in for for Ferrari and and I don't think it's a horrible idea. Uh, I know that uh, if you look at Williams, which is another uh, independent constructor and uh, a privateer, that uh, they basically build each uh, component that goes uh, under the car from nose to tail, and uh, I don't believe that they would ever really consider buying other uh, parts from from another team, be wh- whatever it might be. But I guess uh, for for me, the, uh, the the short of the story is that. Um, you know, if you want to go down that road and uh, and purchase your parts from someone else, the generic ones that aren't uh, aren't governed uh, as tightly by the FIA or the ones that uh, fall under outside that category of parts that you need to produce yourself, you know, I'm absolutely okay to that. But uh, Gunther, which uh, I who I believe is a real rock star, after uh, having uh, seen him a lot in the F1 Drive to Survive series on Netflix, which uh, hopefully most of you have uh, seen by now. He says that um, complaining rivals uh, were hoping that Haas were going to be uh, one of the slowest teams, and uh, well, hasn't really turned out this way, uh, that way so far. I mean, they they were disappointing in Bahrain last weekend. I mean, uh, Kevin Magnussen only managed a P13. Roman Grosjean didn't even finish the race, and he's kind of having a carbon copy of his 2018 season. But uh, K Mag, he had a very good race in Australia. Ro- Grosjean, he didn't uh, again didn't finish that race, but they they, they qualified uh, quite well. So I mean, there's uh, some promising uh, things there but uh, I, I guess the that tensions and passions are high in in Formula One and I guess a, a lot of these teams that uh, have been very vocal about uh, Haas uh, you know, going down this road and buying all uh, the well, not all their points or, or parts sorry uh, or at least a significant portion from them would uh, not be so eager for them to, to see well especially if uh, these are these other teams that uh, follow the model that you design and build every single component that goes onto your car for me I don't know it's uh, it, to me it seems a little bit petty but then again the uh, the skin that I have in the game is is very very minor and uh, I'm not really putting up my money or my time 
to, to run a team in Formula One. So obviously I'm going to have a little bit of a different uh, perspective, but uh, yeah, I mean, Haas, I mean, they, they've been pretty good. I mean, let, let's be fair, give them credit. I mean, what they've done just in a couple of years in Formula One has uh, been pretty damn good. I mean, they've had their moments. Uh, obviously, they've had problems with the car at times and, and, and reliability and other mechanical issues. And of course, you would expect that from a team that's uh, fairly new to the series. But what they've done over the past three years ago, or th- sorry, three years has been uh, really, really good. And um, there, there certainly is a lot of potential there. So, uh, you know, what they're going to do and how they're going to move forward. I mean, that uh, that's always uh, their business and they're going to des- uh, decide on that. But um, certainly, I mean, they've uh, really uh, proved a uh, good value for money over the past couple of years. Anyway, it's kind of sticking with the, uh, the, the Haas uh, theme and uh, Roman Grosjean, who's one of the Haas drivers. Uh, he's also one of the directors for the Grand Prix Drivers Association or the GPDA said that um, just talking about uh, the, getting stewards more in, uh, involved and letting more quote unquote uh, racing incidents go without uh, penalizing uh, you know the the involved parties uh, he said he he's he's up for that and uh, it's something that uh, he likes the idea of as long as they don't get too lax where formula 1 uh, rules uh, could be uh, a stepping stone to what he calls Formula E like chaos or sorry, chaos. And I've been watching a little bit more of Formula E this year and I quite enjoy the series. I mean, it's a, it's a little bit different than, uh, than Formula One. I mean, obviously the biggest uh, difference is that, uh, uh, Formula E is an all-electric uh, series, and Formula One there are V6 uh, turbo hybrid engines. So obviously, there's there's a big difference there. But the design is um, for the Formula E cars. the the aerodynamic sorry the aerodynamics in the rear wings are a little bit different looking. The the the, the tires around the car are a little bit more enclosed and protected uh, compared to say a Formula One car. And uh, there, there's a lot. It's rough and tumble. I mean, uh, I was watching the the race in Hong Kong a couple of weeks ago. There were a lot lot of guys trading paint and crashing and things like that and I don't I don't really mind like when, when you have guys coming together in Formula One as long as it's not a blatant or a stupid move I mean we've seen plenty of those over the year but if it's two guys uh, fighting for, for position and, and, and one guy loses a wing I mean let's take Max Verstappen and uh, Carlos Sainz at uh, Bahrain last weekend and Sainz kind of came off uh, the, the the worst for that that you know breaking his front wing at the you know very early in the race and then dropping uh, quite far back but that to me even though it came up that the incident was under investigation investigation by the stewards I was like well what are you, are you, what are you going to penalize either of those guys for I mean they, they were just uh, jockeying for position it was a 50-50 kind of thing and and Sainz uh, even though he was uh, trying to push a little bit or at least uh, you know put his foot in the door there and see at least no Ma- or let Max know that he was there I mean he ended up losing his wing and uh, or damaging his front wing so I mean He'd already been punished for that with the the, the physical damage uh, to his car. But uh, w- when I saw it come up on the race control on the display while I had the the, the timing app open and saying that the, it was under investigation, I thought, well, you know, wh- what else was there really to do? I mean, Max didn't really gain a big advantage out of that, uh, and Science obviously was uh, impeded in the progress in his race, and that uh, you know it was a long, slower drive back to the pits, and he lost a position because of it. But uh, to me, it was what they call a race incident and uh, it didn't really deserve any supplemental punishment but we, we've seen other stupid things that guys have done uh, over the years and uh, you know 
making outrageous or audacious passing maneuvers or just being reckless or just at times just being uh, dangerous. And by all means, if there's a situation like that, punish the guy that's in question, you know, uh, either with a a grid penalty if it's at the end of the race, uh, you know, if that's when it gets reviewed after or decided upon after the race is over or a five-second penalty during a race. I mean, because, you know, you got the time to go into the pits where you're, you're not at full racing speed plus the time that you're standing still. I mean, there, there's a lot of ways to do that, but I, I think that as long as it doesn't go too far, like just like uh, Grosjean is saying that uh, that it gets too chaotic, like a Formule E, because honestly, I find I don't really find that adds to uh, adds to the racing. I mean, their their tracks are more tighter and complex or compact. You know, that's cool. I mean, that's uh, that's what they race on. That's where the technology is at. I mean, who knows? Maybe in ten years, once the the, the technology evolves f- uh, further, that they will be able to to drive on uh, a single charge on uh, on a full size uh, uh, racetrack rather than these uh, urban courses. And and that's a, a little bit of kind of their uh, their identity as well. And uh, you know, it, it's very much an urban kind of mo- uh, motorsport, and that's cool. But uh, the the future is, of course, uh, for for all cars is going to be getting away from the internal combustion engine. So the the uh, Formula One and the FIA is going to have to embrace something at some point to, in the future. But uh, certainly, if they could uh, stay away from all the drama and the problems that uh, they've had in in Formula E, I think that would uh, be a good thing. Anyways, time for now for another quick break. You're listening to Scuderia F1 here on the Overtime Media Network, and we'll be back in just one moment. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right. Well, welcome back to the show. I just wanted to talk a little bit more and lead off or follow up what we were just talking about uh, just before the break there and uh, Roman Grosjean talking about the, uh, uh, you know, Formula One getting to the point that uh, even though that the, the, the stewards are being encouraged to be a little bit more lenient and let more of these uh, quote unquote racing incidents uh, go, he doesn't want to see it become too uh, chaotic uh, like it is in Formula E and uh, in Formula One, the cars are a little bit more delicate, so you can't really, you know, trade paint too much uh, before your car gets uh, damaged and often even just uh, one little uh, moment of contact is enough to severely uh, damage your car but just talking a little bit uh, maybe just moving away from that uh, a little bit just the 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 aero changes that have been uh, introduced uh, this year Um, the 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 idea is now that overtaking could actually increase as much uh, as 50% in uh, in some races this year and I think that's uh, really wonderful I mean the the big uh, the big change uh, for for those of you that need a little reminder is that uh, they got simpler front wings and barge boards and uh, uh, brake ducts, uh, plus a simpler and wider uh, rear wing. And the the idea is uh, to make it easier for cars to follow one another and uh, increase the the effect of the uh, the DRS uh, system, which is the the drag reduction system that they have. And of course, uh, a lot of tracks they've introduced a, a third DRS zone to uh, encourage and stimulate uh, m- uh, more overtaking. But that was the big uh, question for a very very long time: was that they 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 forced through this uh, change uh, in the middle of last year uh, before they needed uh, all the teams to to formally ratify it. 
because uh, the FIA and Formula One are able to to, to do that uh, on certain matters uh, without having the, the the teams to all to to come to agreement. And initially, they seemed kind of positive about it, but then once the teams uh, started designing the new wings, uh, that tone kind of changed a little bit. But uh, as we got into winter testing, you had a couple of drivers here and there talking about it, saying that uh, they, they thought it would actually be a good thing and that they're, they they would be able to follow closer to one another. I mean, following's one thing. I mean, uh, it has to be followed up upon and, uh, you know, f- you know, following closely, it is, I suppose, to be the uh, that precursor, the stepping stone to more overtaking and, and cars uh, jockeying for, for position and overtaking one another. Because, I mean, that's uh, been an issue in Formula 1 for, for quite some time is just the, the, the lack of overtaking opportunities. But I thought uh, Bahrain was a, a pretty good race uh, in that regard with uh, with overtaking. I mean, we saw a lot of the uh, the, the top runners uh, passing each other. We saw Charles Leclerc out to drag his team. And then we saw... Uh, <laughs> We saw Vettel and Hamilton passing each other and uh, Leclerc passing Hamilton, all these different variations. And uh, the, the the thing is in the past is if one of these guys got out in front, that's usually them just sort of disappearing down the road because even if one of uh, the guys behind him was able to close that gap and stay with him, there was very little chance that uh, unless they did something drastic that uh, they'd be passing them uh, to uh uh, to, to get ahead. So, I mean, now, now that uh, we've seen it in action, not just in testing, but through a couple of races this year. And, uh, the, the idea is that, uh, that there's this expectation that, uh, that, in, uh, overtaking could increase as much as 50% is a good indication that these, uh, these changes are working. And, uh, if that's the case, then, uh, theoretically we could have a, an exciting uh, season from this, uh, from that point of view. And even uh, Kimi Raikkonen, ex-Ferrari uh, and now uh, current Alfa Romeo driver, and he says uh, he, he really believes that these new uh, 2019 aerodynamic rules have made it uh, easier for, for the cars to follow each other in in other races. So it's kind of nice uh, for, for Kimi to kind of uh, weigh in and uh, sort of classic Kimi when he was asked by motorsport.com uh, if it was easy to follow. He said, yeah, I think it's more close. So there you go. Kimi Raikkonen, man of few words. And I want to talk now uh, a little bit about McLaren because, um, you know, honestly, guys, I, I'm pretty impressed and um, happy to see that uh, the, that McLaren, through the at least through the first couple of races of the season, is, is finally starting to show some forward momentum and uh, seeing some uh, progress. And uh, Carlos Sainz really believes that uh, a, a lot of that was the, the delay that they had in developing uh, this year's car in order to really understand all the faults and all the problems that they had with last year's MCL 33 before getting uh, just completely shutting down development on that uh, car last year and then focusing on the design for this year's car what was a very, very good thing. And uh, it certainly seems at this point to have uh, worked out because taking that extra time to find out what the problems were. I mean, if you remember last year, the, when they went to uh, to the Spanish Grand Prix of Barcelona, that that's typically one of those races, uh, one of those milestone races throughout the year where the teams introduce their first round of um, upgrades to their cars. And it was at that race that uh, McLaren introduced uh, a new nose to the car when uh, they really had uh, these theories, okay, well, it's going to do a lot more for this and blah, blah, blah. And it did just really, turn out that way. I mean, last year's car wasn't really the greatest one. I mean, it might have been a little bit better than the car they had the year or two previously, but it uh, still was uh, stuck at the back, uh, you know, in the lower uh, running order most of the time, although Fernando Alonso was able to to, to uh, have some uh, good races here and there at least, and uh, 
Stoffel van Dorn kind of struggled uh, through throughout the year. But this year, through the first couple of races of the year, I mean, we've seen progress. I mean, you look at Lando Norris, the rookie. I mean, he's been in Q3 for both uh, for, for both races so far. Scored his uh, first points of the year in uh, Bahrain. Carlos Sainz, a little bit tougher. I mean, he... Uh, he had the uh, the engine blow in Australia, and then he tangles with Max uh, early in the race uh, in Bahrain, which kind of set him back. And but I mean, they're they're pace here. They 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 look like they're now not destined to, to be stuck at the back of the packed or pack. So it, it seems to me that the the changes that they've done and the things that they've implemented and what they've tried to do to move forward is actually working. And I think that's a, an excellent thing, and uh, it, it's good to see. I mean don't like seeing any team struggle but i mean the, the the thing is with formula one is obviously somebody's going to come first somebody's going to come last and i guess if you're going to be the guy that's going to finish last just how badly are you doing it and uh certainly williams have made uh, uh they, they've made it their thing over the past couple of years it's just how can we get things wrong so many times in a row and just uh, not really move forward? And it really looked like that, that McLaren was uh, sinking down to their level almost. And they've been able to to turn it around this year. And I, I think it's great. I mean, I think the combination of uh, Carlos Sainz and Lando Norris seems to be working well and, and seeing what we've seen from Lando, uh, at least over the first couple of races of the year. And I know it's a fairly small sample size is that uh, the, the guy is legit. I think that uh, I, I'm starting to appreciate now uh, what McLaren and Zach Brown uh, see in him and why they were so uh eager to keep him with the team because uh, last year um, what with the problems well I, I, I don't want to say problems but obviously uh, Brendan Hartley who was with uh, Toro Rosso he was kind of struggling a little bit and uh, Franz Tost and uh, and Toro Rosso I'm not even sure if uh, the Red Bull people got involved but they, they did try to bring Lando Norris to Toro Rosso for it was basically a year and a half uh, loan sort of deal they wanted to see if they could uh, bring him in for the remainder of uh, at least half of the season in 2018 and then for this year as well. But uh, McLaren insisted that he wasn't going to go anywhere. And then a little bit later on in the, that summer, he gets a, a race drive uh, with the with the team. So his patience and his uh, dedication and loyalty were certainly uh, rewarded. But, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's good to see them getting back to a more respectable place. I mean, obviously there's a long, long way to go before they can seriously start challenging for podiums and for, for races and things like that. But this is a team that has a wonderful history in formula one has won multiple drivers and constructors world champion or championships. And, uh, they, they've done it in dominant style in, in, in many occasions. So to see the, the, the problems that they've had over the past several years has been really kind of sad when, when you see a, a team that was once, so mighty and was the team that a lot of people just wanted to drive for sink as low as they did, I think was, uh, you know, it, it was quite uh, sad to see, but, uh, you know, there, there was hope. And, uh, it, it seemed that, uh, that Zach Brown, the CEO of McLaren seems to have really been able to take some of these, uh, more difficult decisions and do things that, uh, that he thinks, uh, is right for them. And, uh, it seems to be working. I mean, uh, they, they did part ways, uh, with, uh, with, uh, uh, Boulier last year, uh, 
and um, that seemed a bit kind of tough. And then you have Jill De DeFerrin, who's the sporting director there. And I mean, Jill was a, a very successful driver in his own right, mostly in, uh, in, in IndyCar. And, uh, but still, I mean, racing is racing and uh, he knows what it takes to, to, to be successful. So they, they've got good people around. And of course they got James Key, who was the, uh, you know, at, at Toro Rosso before, and he's kind of had to sit there on the side for a bit while they got that all worked out, but he's going to be uh, joining with the team. And, uh, you know, they, they've got a lot of good people there now and it's starting to pay off for them. So it, like I say, I think it's uh, very, very good to, to see. And I, I like how they're quite candid as well, because Lando Norris was saying that, uh, that their race pace is a lot better than they, uh, that they antici- anticipated. So obviously I think that's another sign just manifesting that, uh, the things that they're doing are, are working. And just uh, talking a little bit now about Lando, I mean, uh, he's had uh, an extremely good start uh, to the season. And uh, there was uh, an article I was reading a couple of days ago and uh, saying that uh, it's suggesting that he's he's earned what he calls a little bit uh, of a breathing space. At least that's what uh, Zach Brown has been saying. And certainly, I mean, sometimes uh, you get guys that come in that are rookies and uh, they're they're a little bit uh, in over their head and they kind of struggle to to find their feet and and find their bearings and and really just get down to it. But uh, I think that, 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 that Lando has made an extreme strong uh, start to not only his Formula One career, but his career with uh, McLaren. And uh, it should be fun to watch and see how this guy grows and matures. And and very much uh, like we were saying, uh, you know, earlier with uh, with uh, some of these other young drivers uh, that, uh, you know, it, it, you, you can see why uh, that, uh, that they're so highly regarded and uh, that this youth revolution in Formula One is going on for a reason. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's cool to watch. I mean, you have guys that are in slightly similar, but yet dissimilar situations. I mean, you have uh, George Russell at, uh, at, uh, at Williams and they seem to be going uh, nowhere fast, literally, I mean, being a couple of seconds off of the pace, uh, compared to, to Lando Norris, uh, who's, uh, with the, the, the rapidly improving McLaren team and, uh, doing a, a pretty good, uh, job of it. So let's talk now a little bit more about a team that uh, McLaren don't think that they can stick with and compete with uh, race in and race out, although it uh, it was it looked pretty good to, to see Sainz and uh, Verstappen scrapping uh, with each other in Bahrain a week or so ago. But uh, they see what scope for what they call free gains with Honda. And I think that uh, a lot of that basically has to do is the the, the way that they've uh, improved and given the, um, the engine a lot more space and j- just the way that the engine, the Honda engine gets uh, and uh, paired with the, uh, the the Red Bull chassis has led, uh, left for a lot of room. I mean, their their engine, of course, is also a, a little bit more compact. So there, there's a lot of um, uh, possibilities there. And uh, Rob Marshall, who's uh, Red Bull's chief engineering officer, says that uh, the scope for performance to be found is uh, just simply comes from a, a better fitting Honda engine side of the, the the team's future cars, and I think it's great to see that uh, that finally that things are going right uh, for Honda. I mean that that situation with McLaren was uh, really toxic, and it just wasn't good. And you know that you don't like to see people bad melting each other, but uh, I, I really felt that uh, in in that war of words that uh, that Honda. T- came off a lot worse than uh, McLaren after all the mud that was uh, kind of flung at them. But, you know, you you fast forward a a year or two down the road and all of a sudden, you know, they're not supplying engines to, um, 
uh, sorry, they're they're not supplying engines uh, to, to to Red Bull anymore. Sorry, to uh, to um, uh, McLaren anymore, and they're with uh, Red Bull. And uh, certainly, you know, they've had a, a couple of uh, fairly strong races. I mean, uh, Max got a podium in uh, in Australia, got a P four in Bahrain last week, and there's still work uh, to be done. And uh, they're saying that. The, the the work that they need to be done is to to fix their aerodynamic issues, and uh, they hope to have a a fix in place by the Spanish uh, Grand Prix several uh, weeks from now. And uh, they they were just saying that uh, it was it was difficult to get the car set up right in 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 Bahrain because of what they call and I quote tricky handling of the uh, the RB15, and uh, and it seems that uh, you know the, the the sweet spot for getting that car set up uh, just right is, is is very very small. So. Um, it's good to hear that, uh, that on one side, you know, they, they've got uh, possibilities with the engine and things are going uh, there, but they do have uh, other issues going on. And, uh, once they, uh, they, they get it sorted out, uh, hopefully they'll see some, uh, gains in performance because just, uh, talking about that, um, uh, Pierre Gasly, I think, um, you know, obviously for me, he's been a little bit of a disappointment and I know he's, he's only been with Red Bull for a couple of races, but, uh, you know, after moving up from, from Toro Rosa last year, but, um, kind of expected a little bit better i thought maybe you know in the in the top five might be kind of a a little bit too much of an expectation especially when you know you put him up against his teammate max verstappen i mean that's a tough order for for anyone to try and match uh, max uh but still i expected him to be maybe a little bit uh, further ahead of say the uh, the toro rosos rather than uh, scrapping it out with them uh, a little bit more and uh, i hope i hope certainly that uh, he gets it uh, turned around Anyways, we're going to just take one final break here and we're just going to look a a little bit ahead uh, to the Chinese Grand Prix this uh, weekend. You're listening to Scuderia F1 here on the Overtime Media Network. Don't go away. We will be back in just one moment. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Okay, welcome back. We're just going to start wrapping this thing up now as uh, we uh, start to dim the lights here and uh, in the studio. Uh, just a couple more uh, things I just wanted to touch in or touch on briefly before we talk about uh, the, the the race this weekend. And uh, the the first one's the admission from Renault that they say that they have uh, similar problems to their 2018 car, and that uh, comes from the lips of uh, driver Nico Hulkenberg. And uh, I, I think I might have said it last week or the week before. And this is a year I really like to see more progress uh, from Renault. It was obvious that uh, once they took over Lotus, that uh, once they started designing their their, their own cars again, that we, 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 we would see improvement from that. And the first year that they were back in it in, what was that, 2014, 2015, I guess, that that first year was always going to be a... Um, a, a rebadged Lotus for lack of a, a better description. And uh, there was only going to be so much that they could do with that car. And that's, that's, that's pretty much what, uh, what happened and, and, and fair enough, but that development curve and that, that forward progress, I think it, it's kind of tailed off a, a little bit. I, I was a little bit disappointed last year, even though they finished fourth in the world championship, which is uh, no small feat, but 
I would have liked to see them score more points uh, in doing so. And uh, I think that maybe we've expected them to be a lot more competitive uh, a, a lot quicker, at least uh, from, from my point of view it is. And it just hasn't uh, turned out this way. So uh, they've got some work to do because if they're having the, the, the same sort of issues with their car this year that they were having last year, then that, that's uh, sort of an indication that they're not sort of, they're, they're not really figuring things out there. So uh, it's time to get that uh, sorted out. Now, uh, talking about uh, Williams and their income was up in 2018, despite uh, some very poor uh, results in in uh, in the sport last year, in which they finished 10 out of 10 constructors and scored a, a whopping seven world championship points, I believe it was. Um, that comes a, a little bit, uh, not just from the Formula One team, but also their sister company, Williams Advanced Engineering. Uh, although I thought it was interesting that the the revenue for the Formula One team was up uh, from 125.6 million pounds to 130.7 uh, billion uh, pounds and the, the the earning side of it was uh, stable at 16 uh, sorry 16 million pounds and uh, a lot of that was uh, the the the, uh, the team had earned uh, money from the fifth places it had uh, posted in the the previous years in the in the world championship so even though the news is good right now they've obviously had some very very big issues over the past uh, year or two i mean patty lowe's now on uh uh, been mutually parted ways with, or at least put out to pasture for the time being. Uh, and Sir Patrick Head is back on the scene, at least on a par- part-time consultancy basis to try and get this thing turned around. But again, they're just seconds off of the pace compared to uh, everybody else. And it's just a, it's a sad, sad situation. They just uh, are not getting it figured out and not doing it uh, right. And I think that's, uh, it's, it's very disappointing to see. And uh, they, they've got their, their, their work really cut out for them. And, uh, where, whereas uh, McLaren this year at least seemed to be uh, on the uh, or giving the appearances and through the first couple of years that they're starting to get it uh, sorted out, uh, Williams just really no no sentence there no no end set in sight uh, <laughs> no no sights uh, really. Guys, I'm just going to move on. <laughs> it's getting late. I'm getting tired. No end in sight to that. Anyways, uh, just talking about the race now itself, uh, Mercedes, uh, they've said that they believe that uh, Ferrari are the clear favorites at the Chinese Grand Prix this week. And, well, yeah, I mean, there's there's every indication that they should be. But what we've seen over the first couple of races of the year is Ferrari have the, the, the fastest car, but are they going to be reliable? Because they were, for me, very disappointing in uh, in Australia. Uh, Sebastian Vettel just was not uh, fast enough, and uh, then Charles Leclerc was uh, was ordered to stay behind his teammates, the team orders, and all that, and uh, that just was not a, a a good look for them. But they they really looked like they'd come back and were just flying for um, uh, the, the 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 Bahrain Grand Prix, and uh, poor Charles has a has a problem with the uh, you know his car and uh, what they call like an unprecedented short circuit, which uh, really affected his. Uh, his afternoon and it was uh, it was really disappointing to see but uh, that's also in addition to the problem that uh, Sebastian Vettel had after he spun out flat spotted his tires picked up a really wicked vibration on the front end there which ended up uh, shaking off his front uh, wing and then 
he lost uh, obviously a, a big chunk of time and dropped down the, the 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 race order. But the thing is, the Ferraris were fast, and for whatever reason, they just haven't been able to put it together. Because I mean, definitely in Bahrain, they were on for a, a double podium there at at one point, and then uh, Vettel had his in- instant drop back, and then it looked like well, you know, maybe Charles will still at least get the the win, which would be awesome because I mean, it's going to be his uh, his first uh, Formula One win and also his first win for Ferrari which would be really, really cool. But then he develops this mechanical issue and then drops back. And then so that, like I say, I mean, my big question is not so much about the car itself. We know it's fast. We know it's a good car and it uh, looks very capable of uh, beating Mercedes, which uh, obviously a lot of people would like to see. But if the car's got mechanical problems or it's made out of glass for last, uh, lack of a better word, uh, then... Yeah, what good is it? I mean, if uh, if the car's fast but uh, mechanically unreliable and it's not going to last for an entire Grand Prix, that's not a very good thing. So they need to to really get that uh, that that sorted out. And I can understand why the Mercedes would uh, would believe that they're going to be, <coughs> excuse me, in a, a more competitive uh, place this weekend and they're going to be the team to beat but they've got uh, a lot of work uh, to do I think uh, to, to get that uh, sorted out and uh, and make sure that they can get both cars uh, to the end of that race and of course uh, to, to make this uh, even more challenging is that uh, Charles Leclerc is actually going to use the same engine that he had the, the, the problem with and uh, it was uh, later traced to a, a short circuit in one of the uh, in, in an injector which uh, led to a cylinder failure which is a problem that they've never seen before so it, it certainly is uh, kind of uh, interesting to see that, that 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 Ferrari although the car is fast and it, and it handles very well that the problems that uh, that they're having are sort of unexpected and problems that they haven't seen before we, we know that everybody's running to the edge and and that was often a question i think that was asked over the previous couple of years whenever they had uh, had some problems was that maybe that they were pushing the the envelope a little bit uh, too far and then when the cars would uh, would break then it would fall into the the laps of uh, mercedes uh, who were just uh, doing uh, as much as they needed to do and uh, certainly that's uh, exactly what uh, happened in in bahrain a week and a half ago was that uh, uh, ferrari through uh, misfortune and uh, reliability issues weren't able to hold on to those top couple of steps or uh, podium steps and then at the end of the day rather than taking all the glory then um they you know they got one guy on a podium of p3 for leclerc which was great but certainly i think he was uh, helped uh, a lot by the uh, by the safety car period at the end and if that uh, race had uh, gone back uh, to, to green and they gone back to full speed he would not have finished on the uh, on the podium there so uh, looking at um, just some of the stats for the Shanghai International Circuit, uh, there's 56 laps. It's a, it's a fairly long circuit at 5.451 kilometers. It's uh, just over 305 kilometers in race uh, distance. The lap record was set way back in 2004 by Michael Schumacher. It was 132.238. <clears throat> Now, some of the attributes of the the the, uh, the track is when it comes to tire stress, it's a four out of five. Lateral uh, forces on the the tires are also four out of five. It's a middle of the road uh, track for both grip and abrasion, and it's a lower downforce track, uh, being you know uh, a couple of really long straightaways and a couple of tight twisty sections. But a lot of the corners are, are fairly long and flowing. And uh, Pirelli are bringing uh, three compounds to the race. Uh, they're bringing the C2 
C2, C3, and the C4 tire. So a, a little bit softer compounds than I think we saw a couple of weeks ago in in Bahrain. So it'll be interesting to see once we get to China because the, the first three races of the year are three very different types of circuits. So it'll be fun to watch and see how all the different cars do on the, on these different tracks and see, get and start get a, an idea of which, uh, who might be suited to different uh, styles of circuits later on in the year. <clears throat> Okay, so we're getting uh, pretty close now to, uh, to to finishing it up as we get into the last couple of minutes here. And uh, Carlos Sainz was saying that uh, he was just talking about the F1 Drive to Survive series on Netflix, and he said that uh, approved F1 drivers uh, should speak out more. And uh, he said that uh, it showed why... Uh, or really showed a side of the the driver's real personalities that uh, that, that people don't often get to see. And I mean, of course, it's all highly managed, and uh, there, there's a lot of uh, PR, and uh, and it's tightly controlled, and and things like that. And I really found it uh, refreshing to get these kind of behind the scenes looks, uh, and not just with the drivers. I thought too, uh, a lot of like the uh, the team principals. I thought uh, were were really enjoyable to watch. I mean, a lot of the uh, the interactions uh, between Renault. Surreal Abitabul and uh, and Christian Horner from Red Bull. I thought they were priceless, uh, especially when it came to uh, the, the different times throughout the year. When uh, first of all, uh, Red Bull had announced that they were splitting with Renault and going with Honda, and just some of the things that were said, uh, not just in the press conferences. Uh, most of that is a little bit uh, tidier, a little bit uh, more, uh, you know, polite and, and things like that. But it was the, the stuff that they would uh, catch on camera outside of the media center, and some of the snide comments. Going on between the two of them, and then uh, a beatable later in the year, uh, talking, uh, you know, making the snide comments directed at uh, Red Bull and Christian Horner after they'd uh, stolen Danny Ricard away from them. You know, comment that is, oh, now they need a a driver, a, a good engine, and a driver and uh, <laughs> sort of things like that. But also it was great to see that uh, some of these guys as well, I thought it was really cool. Uh, you got a, some really good time with uh, with guys like Danny Ricardo, uh, Ricardo Carlos Sainz. Uh, it, it is just cool, right? I mean, you get a chance to see a bit of a different uh, angle to these guys. And um, when it comes to some of the other sports media work I do and, and covering uh, Major League Soccer here, and I always find the worst time to interview players is right after, after a game because number one they're tired and the emotions are either going to be really really high or low and you know they always say well a lot of guys will say that you know they, they try to keep an even keel but I mean if it's been a, a big game and an emotional you know they've just come off of the you know playing 90 minutes and I always find that uh, that, that they're kind of in PR mode like right after games and you just kind of get like they're, they're the really sports there's sort of the sports cliche kind of answers and the stock kind of answers and I always find that the, the best time to interview and the way that I prefer to interview players on, on my other show is uh, is try to get them middle of the week, and sometimes uh, we we do that show in the evening as well. And 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 sometimes when you get these guys in the evening, and uh, they're quite a lot of them are very generous with their with their free time to come and talk to us for ten or fifteen minutes for an interview. And I find it's a completely different uh, circumstance, and you you get better answers. The guys are more relaxed, and you get more more personality. And I think that uh, it, it was a little bit different uh, too to to see them in the F1 drive to survive, see that side of the drivers and, and the team principals in, in situations that were, were quite often away from the racetrack, away from the pit wall. And it, it was cool to see that, uh, you know, the, the quirks that these 
guys after their their their, their personalities and get in, get get inside their head a little bit and just to hear what's on their minds and what's on their hearts and 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 have them uh, you know uh, you know articulate that. So certainly, it uh, it's interesting to hear a guy that was featured in that uh, that that series uh, you know weigh, you know, weigh in and say that uh, that it was a good thing because I think it was a good thing and uh, hopefully we'll see more of that uh, in the future. That uh, this is just the first uh, season and it uh, it'll carry on in uh, in years uh, to come. Anyways, I just want to finish it up now here with uh, Fernando Alonso. And, you know, Nando, he's out of Formula One, but somehow he's still finding ways to insert himself in the conversation or other people are still finding ways to talk about him because apparently Fernando is just not having fun with his uh, post-Formula One challenges. And, uh, well, he did test in uh, Bahrain last week and uh, it's just kind of funny, isn't it? Because it seemed like he was all fed up with Formula One. He couldn't really wait to get out of there and was all set to go and concentrate on endurance cars in Indy and uh, <laughs> he's just uh, not enjoying it. Maybe he's just not living up to the expectations uh, that, that, that he had. So whether or not that will uh, lead to a return to Formula One, I guess that uh, that's a $64,000 question. And uh, if he does come back to Formula One, would it be with McLaren? Because I mean, they really have uh, gone out of their way, in my opinion, to, to accommodate him and uh, tr- really try and make something work. But uh, who knows? Would you want to push out uh, Carlos Sainz or Lando Norris? That would be a, a very, very difficult uh, decision for somebody to make. So who knows? Maybe we haven't seen the end of uh, Fernando Alonso in Formula One after all. Anyways, I'm going to wrap it up there. Thank you so very much for downloading and listening to the show. If uh, you enjoy it, uh, please do us a big favor and leave a, a, a nice rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere where you uh, download and consume your podcast. We'd really uh, appreciate it. And it really does help out uh, the, the show more than you realize. If you want to get in touch, uh, please send us an email at scuderiaf1pod at gmail.com or tweet us at scuderiaf1pod. And that's it. That's a wrap on behalf of myself and my friend and co-host Kevin Laramie. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the Chinese Grand Prix and we'll talk to you again very, very soon. Thanks for listening to the Scuderia F1 podcast. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, then head over to ScuderiaF1Pod.com. Want to get in touch with us? Then email us at ScuderiaF1Pod at gmail.com.